want a war, you're gonna get one. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. I am the game. Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. I'm gonna try to win this. He has broken it. Rep screwed. Rep. Woo! Rep. If you're so mad, what is this? What's he doing here? Oh, it's getting sick. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. We are at war! Welcome everyone to another episode of the Monday Night Warfare Podcast. I'm J.R. Judy, joined by the most lovable man in wrestling, brother Wade Skaggs. Wade, how you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good now. I'll tell you what, thanks for the intro, my dude. You know, you know we are taking a risk on this podcast tonight. As we're recording this, it's May 19th. Uh-oh. Nobody tell Kane. <laughs> yeah, seriously, I don't want my house to get burned down. Well, to be fair, technically it's Isaac Yankum D-D-S, so he would just pull out your teeth. I don't want that either. I'd rather have my house burned down. I'd rather be forced to watch some of these episodes we had to watch this week than either of those options. Good point. For, for those of you that are new to the podcast, this is a week-by-week breakdown of the Monday Night War between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Raw, but we take it a little bit more to the extreme, Wade. We're looking at it from the lens of a wrestling fan in 1995, so we're going through WCW, WWE, and ECW. We just finished up World War III 1995 from WCW. We have a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, but oh. That's just the start of the story in WCW. What a chaotic time for both WCW and the WWF. Shawn Michaels just collapsed on Raw the week before. We were looking into this week. Both shows had a lot on tap, I think, to, to spark interest. There was a women's tag team match on both sides. There was a big hook of... The new WCW World Champion on Nitro with the controversy surrounding World War III. And on Raw, there was the the shock and the awe of Shawn Michaels collapsing in the ring. Did you have a, a show you were looking forward to more going into it this week? Probably Nitro coming off the pay-per-view, but I mean, I, I didn't know what they were going to do with the Shawn Michaels thing. Uh, well, I won't say anything now, but that question will be answered here in a minute uh, for you guys watching. Um, I was looking forward to both of them a lot, and I shouldn't have been, so... <laughs> let's uh we'll get into that oh how innocent we were as we look at the scoreboard we have had 11 head-to-head raw versus nitro well technically 11 raw versus nitro weeks uh wade has it eight two to one in the favor of nitro with one stupid tie and i've got it eight to three in the favor of nitro so the newly debuted wcw show we both think it's coming out swinging every week here on, on, on Monday night, so we'll see if they can keep the streak alive this week. I'm going to give you the call. Do you want to start with WCW Nitro or go to Raw? Well, we just come off the pay-per-view, World War Three. Let's go with Nitro, baby. Well, let's hit a recap of World War Three very quickly then. And uh, it was kind of an up-and-down pay-per-view. Uh, we started out with the WCW World Television Championship. Johnny B. Bad defeats Diamond Dallas Page to retain the title 
and also gain the services of the Diamond Doll Kimberly. Big Bubba Rogers defeats Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a Tate Fist match. That was rough. Bunakano and Akira Hokuto defeated Mayumi Azuki and Kyuji Suzuki in a very entertaining women's tag team matchup. United States Heavyweight Champion Katsuki Sasaki defeated Chris Benoit of the Four Horsemen to retain the U.S. title. Lex Luger defeated Randy Savage in a very short, kind of underwhelming matchup, but the big story out of that matchup is after the matchup, Sting comes out, gets in Lex Luger's ear, and the constant whose side are they on and, and what's going on with Sting and Lex Luger? Where's he coming from, through? brother? Hey, where is he coming from, brother? Speaking of Sting, he defeated the Nature Boy Ric Flair in a very fun matchup at World War III. And in our main event, 60-man 3-ring World War III, the Macho Man Randy Savage is declared the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, but not without controversy, Wade. Controversy creates cash, my dude. And this time it creates ratings. Well, actually, I don't know if they won the ratings this week, but I kind of would think that they did. I was like... Because I, you know, I'm watching this for the first time. I don't know what's going on. I got to know what's going on with this title. At the end of World War Three, for those who have not seen it, first of all, go back and watch the last episode. It's all, it's good. It's it's a pay per view special episode. But at the end of the Battle Royal, as Randy Savage is in the ring, the giant pulls Hulk Hogan out from under the bottom rope. The referees see Hulk Hogan on the floor and they declare Macho Man Randy Savage the winner. Hulk Hogan said at the end of the pay per view. I will show you the footage on Nitro, and after you see the footage, I want a shot at the WSW World Heavyweight title. So that is the big hook going in. Last week on Nitro, a 2.5 rating. This week on Nitro, a 2.5 rating. No change, which is kind of a rarity for, for what we've seen so far in 1995. A lot of these post-pay-per-views have dropped, so at least Nitro stayed the same. We are live in the Salem Civic Center in Salem, Virginia. Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, Mongo, and Steve Mongo and Michael on commentary. And Pepe. And Pepe. Uh, I don't normally cover these, but I kind of wanted to cover this this time, Wade. Three dark matches took place before the television taping. And some of them are kind of interesting. So the Blue Bloods, Lord Stephen Regal and, Sir, and Earl Robert Eaton, defeated the stud stable of Bunkhouse Buck and Dirty Dick Slater. Oh, my favorite tag team. Listen to this dark match. Mm -hmm. Alex Wright defeats Disco Inferno. That's a main event. <laughs> yeah, I would what like do you to mean have seen that dark match. And here's what I think you're going to be interested in. Ooh. Gorgeous George the Third defeats Cobra. Gorgeous George the Third is the grandnephew of Gorgeous George. He's the future maestro in WCW. And a fun fact for me, he's a former APWA Tag Team Champion with the king of the one-night stand, Jock Sampson. Really? So if I get to mention Jock Sampson, I get to, I'm going to do it every time. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> so, just a little fun tidbit before we go on the air on Nitro. The opening fireworks in the intro are go going off. And we go to the commentary desk, and we have Leopard Skin Cowboy Pepe with Steve Mako McMichael. That's right, baby. Where do you where do you rank this costume? Uh, I give it a solid. Uh, I give it a solid B plus. There's been a lot of cowboy stuff, and uh, I like it, but it's not unique. So if you want to have a unique, like a spaceman helmet or something, if you want to get an A plus from me, Daddy. Yeah, he he. We are kind of a, a lot of cowboy Pepe going on. Yeah. Another thing to note. 
Bobby Heenan is holding a very tiny Japanese flag. And I saw I that. Like, I'm like, he's just waving it back and forth like he's, you know, Mr. Like Fuji. I'm like, yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly the point of it, yeah. So I'm sitting here, I'm just like, bro, what are you doing, man? We will have <sighs> more update on the Japanese contingency from New Japan Pro Wrestling later in the episode. Uh, at the commentary desk, they recap the controversy of last night's main event at World War III. We also get a recap of Hulk Hogan removing the black and returning to the red and yellow from the dark side. And also something about the dirt sheets and burning yeah. the wrestling observer and, and almost starting a, a fire. <laughs> I was like, I'm starting the building on fire. Stinks fre stink freaking out is my favorite part of that whole promo. And then we go right to our opening matchup. Here comes on every band. It's the WCW World Television title, a return match for World War III. Johnny B. Bad now with the Diamond Doll against Diamond Dallas Page. On the way to the ring, Kimberly already holding up the 10 plus. My favorite part is Johnny holds open the ropes for Kimberly, and then she just goes through the bottom and the middle rope. Like, nope, I'm going to go in however I want to go in the ring. Uh, also, Johnny has back in his possession the bad blaster, which he lets Kimberly shoot off. Mm -hmm. That was the best I way bet I could, he did. That was the best way I could write that sentence. I, re yeah. I rewrote that sentence four times. I bet. <laughs> All of them sounded dirty. Speaking of dirty, Diamond Dallas Page comes to the ring looking dirty and distraught. But he is holding a bouquet of roses. He gets mm. into the ring and he tells Kimberly he still loves her. And he hands her the roses before sucker punching Johnny B. Bad. And have you noticed that most of this matchup, Kimberly is just admiring those flowers from DDP yeah. as he's on the offensive. Yeah, they really uh, sold that. At one point during the matchup, DDP hits Johnny B. Bad with like a spinning tombstone power slam. But... We cut to Kimberly, who pulls a steel chain out of the roses. <laughs> it's so good. It, like The camera work on this match is really good to sell the story. Oh, yeah. Uh, Johnny B. Bad takes over Diamond Dallas Page with a head scissors before Kimberly throws the chain between DDP's legs to Johnny B. Bad. Johnny uses the chain to knock out DDP for the pinfall win. And after the match, Johnny B. Bad's questioning Kimberly about the chain. Uh-huh. Now, the, let me tell you something, brother. Where's she coming from, brother? The way they sold this was done to perfection. She's standing outside the ring. She's like, okay, you know, I got Johnny right here. DDP's right there. Like, do I give this to somebody? What do I do? So she gives it a little toss into the ring. And it goes between, inadvertently, between Johnny's or uh, DDP's legs to go to Johnny. And so afterwards, they're like, okay, were you throwing it to him or were you throwing it to me? And while I was watching it, that was the exact thing that I was wondering. I'm like, oh my God, like they're sewing this so well. I don't know if she meant that to go to DDP or Johnny. Nobody who's watching knows. And she kind of, you know, downplays it after the match. And she's like, oh, hey, you won. So. There's going to be some nonsense coming. There's going to be some shenanigans coming, I think. I don't know what's going to happen, but things are going down. Here, here's my only issue, because you're right. They really sell this angle really well. It's a, it's a fun mid-card storyline. Oh, it's yeah. Been, it's been a fun mid-card storyline since four flat tires with stupid Max Muscle. Oh, God. But the thing is, like, Johnny is mad at Kimberly, but Johnny used the chain. Yep. <laughs> You're not innocent in this situation, Johnny B. Bad. Yep. 
Uh, as we go to commercial break, Eric Bischoff says he's going to go to the locker room to get more information on this. We come back from commercial. Eric Bischoff is hyping up the rest of the card and makes zero reference to his investigation of Johnny B. Bad. Yep. So that's the end of that story for tonight. Tune in next week for more. Uh, we go to Mean Gene Okerlund with his favorite interviewees, Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. I I am so sick of Kevin Sullivan promos, but this is one that actually progresses a story, I think, pretty well. Kevin looks pretty annoyed with Jimmy Hart. You know, I always thought you were a real smart man. I gotta ask you a real easy question. If you're so smart, what is Luger doing running around with Stink? Don't you realize that last night, Luger could have changed the course of wrestling history? All he needed was to keep the hold on for 10 more seconds, Jimmy, and we wouldn't have had no Macho Man as the world champion. We wouldn't have had no Hulk Hogan controversy. Wait a second, Hart, let me finish. We would have had either Luger as the champion or someone from the dungeon. But they were fighting each other all match, Kevin. You big dummy. If you're so smart, tell me what's going on. Have I ever lied to you in my life? I'll answer that. No, I haven't. Lex Luger and Sting. They're friends. They'll go back a long time the same way me and you do, Kevin Sullivan. It's going to take a long time to chip away at this, but we're going to get the job done. You understand that? Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart, we have a plan with Sting, baby. Wait a minute. You said you and Lex Luger and Sting have a plan. We have a plan. You know, baby. A little bit of confrontational issue brewing in the Dungeon of Doom. Thoughts on the promo? Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. It sold the storyline, you know. Uh, I'm thinking the exact same thing. If I'm if I'm Kevin, I'm thinking, bro, like this guy Luger's with us. Sting is trying to take him away from us. We gotta put an end to this. Jimmy says he has a plan. Now he's got the power of attorney, right? He's the man with the plan. So you gotta trust him on that, I guess. But Kevin uh, has a right to be worried for sure. My issue is they realize they're on national television having this promo like jimmy hart saying we're gonna chip away at sting's friendship like sting can hear you sting is in the building <laughs> we go to commercial break we come back with another return match for world war three this time women's tag team action with akira hokuto and bull nakano with sunny ono in their corner against cutie suzuki and mayumi azuki on commentary bobby heenan says he and the lawyers are working on a deal with sunny ono still as we know uh, WCW management threw Sonny Ono and New Japan Pro Wrestling off of WCW Pro at World War III. He mentioned they're working on a deal involving Starcade. Uh, we'll have more updates on that later in the episode. Uh, matchup starts with Bonacana throwing Ki- uh, Ozaki around with two massive hair throws. My issue with this match, and this also happens on Raw, is the entire match, the commentators are talking about the ladies' looks and their attractiveness, or what they think is lack of attractiveness. At one point, Mongo says, I'm going to tell my friends the Chicago Bears to call up the bull. They need some defensive help. This is 1995. We know where we're going to head with women's wrestling in like three years. Yeah. And this is already annoying me. What is 1999 going to look like? And it's, yeah, and it's not even just that either. Uh, uh... Bobby the Brain Heenan is throwing words around like Oriental and Kamikaze and stuff like that. I think she's rather attractive in kind of a Oriental way. Like, you want to know what the 90s was like, kids? It was like this. 
just all the time. Bonacana goes for the guillotine leg drop, misses off the top rope. Cutie Suzuki and Mayumi Azuki with a double foot stop from the top rope to Bonacana only gets a two count. That's what's known as the Oriental Heinlich. They're trying to do some physical liposuction on that gut. <sighs> Bonacana with a double suplex to both of her opponents before Hokuto splashes them off the top rope. Hokuto with a power bomb only gets a two count though. Cutie Suzuki goes for a crossbody and misses, hitting her own partner, which allows Akira Hokuto to hit a Northern Light suplex. Only a two count, though. Bunakano, later in the matchup, counters a sunset flip by sitting straight down on Cutie Suzuki. Miami Suzuki makes the save. The match continues. Everyone's on the floor, Wade, and Akira Hokuto goes for a top rope flip senton. Suzuki and Azaki move, causing Hokuto to crash into Nakano. Back in the ring, Akira Hokuto with a missile drop kick to both of her opponents before hitting the Fisherman Buster on Cutie Suzuki for the pinfall win. The match was sloppier than World War III, but man, was it still exciting. Yeah, it was. And that goes back to what we've been talking about for the past few months. There's such great women wrestling in the world. Like, you, you can't tell me that you can't hire some of these women, and you can't tell me that women aren't interested in wrestling or something. Like, it's ridiculous. We could have had the women's revolution 20 years earlier. And we'll be talking about this more when we get to Raw, believe you me. But what I saw here was good. It was a little sloppy. They had the uh, what we've taken to calling the Japanese tags because they will tag when they're already in the ring or when they're, you know, halfway through the ropes. It's so weird. You don't see this happen in any other matches. I don't know what's going on. Was this a different rule in Japan in, 90s, in the 90s? I don't know. Um, and that happened on Raw also. So, I, I don't know what's going on there, but that Fisherman Brain Buster to end the match was beautiful. Beautiful Mwah, match. Chef's kiss. Yes, sir. Before we go to commercial break, we get the preview for our next matchup. It'll be Hulk Hogan against Hugh Morris. Why are we still using Hulk Hogan's Dark Side promo picture? We made a question. big deal at the start of the show how he's no longer Dark Side Hulk Hogan. Yep. We come back from commercial. We get a preview for Saturday night. Sting goes one-on-one -on -one against Kurosawa. Dean Malenko will be in action. The former WCW World Tag Team Champions, the American Males, are in action. And stemming out of World War III, Hacksaw Jim Duggan goes one-on-one -on -one with VK Wall Street. Mm -hmm. We're not going to watch any of those matches. Nope. <laughs> if we go to our next matchup. It is the Immortal Hulk Hogan one-on-one -on -one with Hugh Morris of the Dungeon of Doom. This crowd is very pro Hulk Hogan, unlike the last couple episodes on Nitro. It's a big change here. Uh, Hugh Morris looks pretty good in this matchup, though. He misses an elbow before getting taken down by a clothesline by Hulk Hogan. But as Hogan whips Morris into the turnbuckle, Hugh Morris walks the ropes and connects with a pretty nice diving clothesline to Hulk Hogan. Hugh Morris hits a body slam and then goes up to the top rope, hits the no laughing matter moonsault, kind of, only gets a two count. And then we get the classic Hulk Hogan Hulk up. We get the punches, the big foot, the big leg drop, and the pinfall win. It was a decent TV match. Yeah, it was. I got to tell you, that that uh, moonsault that Hugh did was nice. Uh, I've barely seen Hugh Morris, that's Bill DeMont, wrestle. Is Hugh Morris a good wrestler? Yes, he very much is. I mean, because I've barely seen him. So I'm watching this, I'm saying, this dude's got talent. So, uh... You know, Hugh Morris, not the greatest gimmick to showcase that, really. But, uh, yeah. Would you... Uh, <laughs> Alright, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you pick. Do you want Hugh Morris's gimmick now? Oh, or his gimmick later in WCW of General Erection? Pick one. 
pick one. That sounds like a TNA gimmick. He's in the Misfits in action. He's General Erection. And Van Hammer is Private Stash. I'll never speak ill of Hugh Morris ever again. And Chavo Guerrero is Lieutenant Loco. Wow. And they have this girl, and her name is Major Guns. Let you figure that one out by yourself. Guess who booked that crap? Vince Russo? 100%. Yeah, that's 100%. A, that's a TNA faction right there. <laughs> so, Hugh Morris, you will love. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, Bill DeMott gets a bad rep because obviously he did some bad things when he was a yeah. trainer. But like, yeah. as, a, as a worker, like he, I like watching Hugh Morris. I think yeah. he's always been a really good, like kind of like a Bam Bam Bigelow type heavyweight who can still mm-hmm. move, but you know he's, he's impressive for his size. Yep. We got a commercial break, then we come back, we get a commercial for the Encore presentation of World War III tomorrow night, 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. It's a weird time for a pay-per-view replay. Um, I believe I would have had soccer practice at that point, or, or t-ball practice, or dinner. <laughs> did you play t-ball? No. Oh. I, I have I never, no hand-eye court. I, I, I never can play did soccer. Yeah, I played soccer back then, but. I'm, a, I'm afraid of the ball. Bad baseball kill me. A T-ball? Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. There, there's that one kid on steroid. Carlos, that's great. Uh, how old are you? I'm 12. We're like 1,200. No, it'd be Pablo Sanchez. Which, I don't remember that. For backyard baseball, the, the little kid who just jacked up home runs. Oh, yeah. Bro, Pablo was the man. I thought you were talking about bench formers, that Latino guy <laughs> I, who came in. I is 12. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, that's such an underrated movie. We're getting real off on a tangent right now, but it it's worth well, it. I don't, I don't really want to go to this next promo because it turns into a freaking disaster. Yeah. We go to meet Gene Oakland, who welcomes in the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage. I am ecstatic. I am the new WCW World Heavyweight Champion, which means I am the only World Heavyweight Champion. And I'm going to go on a reign of terror. I'm like, bro, I'm sitting here watching this. I'm like, wh- what babyface talks about going on a reign of terror, dude? What are you talking about? What it is is what it is. The cream will so. rise to the top, uh-huh. Bone saw is ready. And other assorted macho man quotes. And if that happens for only one day or forever in a day, that's cool with me because I'm on top of the mountain and I'm ready to face everybody one by one. And if you need a little excitement, snap into the macho man. You hold that title at this very moment, but without a cloud of controversy hanging over it, and you know what I'm talking about. Hulk Hogan is a friend of mine, but if he's got a problem, let's settle it right now. Let me tell you something, brother friend. The whole world saw, including you, Mean Gene, that in World War III, there were two guys that didn't get thrown over the top rope, brother. Everybody saw that Hulk Hogan was still standing. And in case you haven't noticed, Macho Man, on the front of the WCW Heavyweight title, it says Hulk Hogan, brother. I'm planning on getting that changed. You know what I mean, brother? But we talked about it at World War Three. Like, it still had Hogan's name on it. Yeah. And, and it still has his name on it. What is happening with that title? I know you were taking care of people on one side, and I was taking care of people on the other. But brothers, let's roll that piece of videotape 
so the macho man can see it. But this is the big selling point of Nitro. Hogan cues up the footage from last night and the closing moments of World War III. Just as the giant is about to pull out Hulk Hogan, the videotape craps out. Hogan's in shock. As are we all. And before Hulk Hogan can figure out what happened, here comes the giant and he's attacking Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. And the giant chokeslams Randy Savage on the concrete floor. Yeah. Captain Insano shows no mercy. They really sold that. And before that, bro, the funniest part to me, it, I like this friction between the two of them is, is pretty funny to me. I don't know why. But uh, <laughs> they show the footage. The footage like goes just so static and cuts out before you can see if Hogan went under or over the ropes, whatever. Although it really looks like he's going under, but let's just leave that be for now. A picture's worth a thousand words, but I didn't see nothing. I really just think that Macho Man is just trying to stick it to Hogan at every possible turn. So as the Giant is prepared to attack again, out comes Sting, who grabs the Giant's leg. The Giant picks up Sting, and Hogan waffles the Giant with a series of really good chair shots. Like, and then Randy Anderson tries to stop Hulk Hogan in the ring. But then Hulk Hogan back elbows the referee and continues to attack the Giant with the chair. And then the Hulk Hogan chair shots to the head come in. And oh yep. man, are the... Dink! God almighty. You see, like, this has become a gift now. Like, I've seen this a bunch on the internet. Yes, this is entertainment. But the hazards are real. How's he even able to stand? Freighters, EMTs, referees down. No matter who you are, whatever you do, please don't try this at home. The worst chair he hair. What I don't. I'm so. I don't even know what I'm saying. The worst head chair shot in the history of wrestling. He just takes the chair and he just like touches it to his head. What is just the worst thing I've ever seen? And he, you have to sell it. You know. So Giant's like, oh, you know, you have to sell that. It's which awful. is funny because like when he's hitting him in the back, he is swinging for the fences. Yeah, with that chair. I mean, you can't say Hulk didn't protect somebody's head, you know what I'm saying? But, like, jeez. And throughout this whole thing, like, this goes on for a minute or two. Hulk, uh, Macho Man is still down on the ramp, and then people come out to, you know, check him out and stuff. So yeah, then that's, that's where they, and, yeah. And that's the interesting part, because Sting calls Hogan off of the giant so he and Hogan can go check on mm -hmm. Randy Savage, who's down in the entryway. And Mongo literally says on commentary, I don't want him, to, the new champion, to down us one day after he gets the belt. Wow. But the, the interesting part is Eric Bischoff starts to question Sting. He called off Hulk Hogan tonight off the Giant. He called Lex Luger off last night off of Randy Savage. The only thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. So we go to commercial break and we come back for our main event. It is Lex Luger and Sting against the four horsemen, Arn Anderson and Fly and Brian. The horsemen make their way to the ring. And then Sting comes out alone. Camera goes back to the entryway for a momentary delay. Lex Luger comes out. Very delayed entrance music even. Mm -hmm. And no and no Jimmy Hart. Yeah, he's he's someone that said he had a plan. Where is he? Where's he coming from, brother? Where is he at, brother? Maybe that's part of the plan, is he's just, you yeah. know, not going to show I up. I guess so. That'll, that'll get him thinking. That'll teach him. Arn Anderson starts the match off with a few shots to Sting. 
Brian kicks Sting in the back of the head, leading to the double-A spinebuster right at the beginning of the matchup, but Lex Luger makes the save. Sting with Bulldogs to both Pillman and Anderson. Luger and Sting then with a double military press to the horseman who decided to take the powder to the floor. At one point, Luger sends Arn Anderson crashing into Brian Pillman, which sends Pillman crashing into the safety rail, and the crowd comes alive for Lex Luger. They want to cheer for Lex Luger at this point. Sting tags in, delivers the Stinger Splash to Arn Anderson. What a great sell by Arn Anderson to the Stinger Splash. And here's where it gets interesting. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock on, as Brian Pillman climbs the top rope. Luger shoves Pillman off the top rope, but Pillman crashes into Sting. Did Lex Luger do it on purpose? Mm -hmm. And you know they're, they're playing that up on the commentary. I'm sitting here at home thinking... Okay, this you know you're this is too much, but you're watching at home in '95 and you're thinking, "Hey man, where's it coming from, brother?" On the floor, Pelvin pulls Luger off the apron, causing him to leave his corner. So when Sting goes for the tag, there is no Lex Luger. Sting rolls up Pillman and gets a surprise win, but immediately after the pinning, is DDT'd by Arn Anderson. So a quick surprise victory for Sting and Luger, but the story is really after the match because after the match, Ric Flair comes out. And starts to attack Lex Luger. Pillman is splashing Lex Luger off the top rope. And then Ric Flair punches a referee. Yep. So now we have two referees assaulted tonight. Flair locks on the figure four on Sting. As Hulk Hogan comes out to make the save. Flair begins to chop Hulk Hogan having no effect. Hogan a series of punches before the horsemen save Ric Flair. Hogan checks on Sting and then goes to attack Lex Luger before Sting stops Hogan again. Where's he coming from, brother? That's right. Luger leaves while Hogan and Sting continue to argue in the ring. Eventually, they shake hands as we go to a commercial break. But man, what a chaotic last uh, like last segment of Nitro. Yeah, I would say I like how it ended because... So many times you would see that kind of tension. And they squashed it at the end there. Though. Hogan's like, okay, man. Because they just had this big, you know, come to Jesus meeting at the pay-per-view and stuff. And Hulk said, hey, you guys are my best friends, dude. And so now he's like, okay, we've just been reunited. You're my best friend again. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and shake your hand. And that's it. But so many times we would see this tension. It would just keep boiling and boiling. So I'm glad they did that. Uh, you said commercial break. And you were right. This is a commercial break on Peacock. Which really annoys me because they come right back from commercial, and then all it is is the commentary talking for 30 or 60 seconds, and then the show's over. Stop doing this, man. <laughs> I will say that this episode of Nitro really started to plant the seeds of the next couple of months for WCW Creative with their top stars, and... It is an interesting road we are about to embark on. Uh, you mentioned the commentary comes back. They recap the action. There is no update on Macho Man Randy Savage. And as we go off the air, Eric Bischoff says this Saturday night there will be a special announcement on Starcade. Guess what? Starcade is not actually on Peacock. Uh, huh? What? What? Or not Starcade. Uh, Saturday night. You stupid idiot. I was, about to, I was about to be upset, dude. I'm about to be real No, no, upset. no. Star, Starcade's there. Saturday night is not. Um, so I tried to watch it on YouTube, and the part we needed wasn't there. So I had to watch the rest. I had to watch the rest of the crappy Saturday night episode. Was, it, put was, the, it, was it somebody taking a video of their TV again, like last time? No, it was actually like the Saturday night episode. It's just like the, the, the part we needed wasn't there. 
Well, so I, so I, I pieced together. Here's the updates from Saturday night. The first thing they noticed on Saturday night is that morning on WCW Pro, Sonny Ono is on WCW Pro, even though he got kicked off of WCW Pro. Uh, he issues a challenge to WCW to prove that New Japan is far superior than the WCW wrestler and wants to prove it at Starcade. On Saturday night, it is announced at Starcade, there will be a best of seven. World Cup of Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling against WCW. Matchups to be announced, but it'll be seven matches of New Japan Pro Wrestling against WCW at Starcade. And remember, we had wrestlers from New Japan in the crowd a couple of months ago on Nitro. Kensuke Sasaki, Jushin Thunder Liger, Masa Saido, and Masahiro Chono. Those are four... Of the seven wrestlers for Team New Japan. I love that. I'm psyched for this, bro. I really am. Also announced for Starcade, a triangle matchup, the Nature Boy Ric Flair versus Sting versus Lex Luger, with the winner to immediately face Macho Man Randy Savage for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. But that all could change because next Monday on Nitro... The Macho Man Randy Savage defends the WCW World title against Lex Luger. A lot of big updates coming on a Saturday night. Overall thoughts before we kick it over to, to, to Raw on this chaotic and, and really foundational episode of Nitro. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is chaotic, but I tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a good, solid episode, and it's got me wanting more. I'm really looking forward to Starcade and what New Japan has to offer and that coming up. Uh, seeing legends like Chono and so on. Uh, we got about six months or so until the NWO starts, you know, the outsiders come and stuff. Uh, the future of WCW, like this is such an exciting time, even though we know a lot of what's coming, uh, to see it from this perspective, you know, things are kicking off, man. So this is going to be so much fun, and I just, I just want more and more. I love it. So if my memory serves me right... Scott Hall debuts May 27th, 1996. I think so. Th this episode of Nitro was, uh, was November 27th, which means we have exactly six months until the landscape of WCW changes forever. But the six months before Scott Hall gets there are not to be overlooked. There's some interesting stuff coming in mm -hmm. WCW. And I guess there's interesting stuff coming in the WWE. I couldn't say it with a straight face. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we do. You know, honestly, in all seriousness, we do have very interesting stuff coming in the WWF in about two years. Well, to be fair, there is a debut in the WWF in about three weeks. Ooh. That will change some things. But we're not there. We have, we have to slug through a couple episodes uh, like this one. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, last last week in the ratings, Raw had a 2.3 rating. This week in the ratings... Oh, God, don't say it. 2.3. Oh, okay. All right. Much much like Nitro, Raw stays the same, which means now the overall scoreboard, four wins for Raw, five wins for Nitro, two ties. The new show has taken the lead. Yes, sir. And uh, I, I agree with that uh, ranking, man. I'm telling you, Nitro has been... The better show this entire it, time. It, and, and you know what? I 
I, I think the ratings are finally starting to show. I think it took them a while to get kind of in that foothold. And I think I, I'm, I mean, we know where it gets to with the 83 win streak, but I think it, with these, this first year, you're going to have that back and forth. And these first episodes are really going to be important for the WWF, especially because we know what's coming for WCW and the WWF sometimes puts on a good show and sometimes puts on this. Yeah. This episode was taped November the 20th. We're still in the Richfield, or Richmond Coliseum. I did that last episode. I said Richfield Coliseum. Last episode. You stupid idiot. What the heck is the... I think the Richfield Coliseum is in Ohio. I've never heard of it, so I don't know. Maybe I'm making that building up. We're in Richmond, Virginia. You probably are. We're, we're <laughs> technically, if you believed this show was live, then both shows would have been live from Virginia. Except WWF was taped the week before. So we're in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, we start the show off with a recap of Shawn Michaels collapsing in the ring last week, narrated by Vince McMahon. Last week on Raw, the unthinkable happened. Shawn Michaels collapsed. As Shawn Michaels lay motionless in the ring, the crowd and even Michaels' opponent stood in stunned silence. Possibility of serious injury is a reality for anyone who steps into the squared circle. The fear of that moment is something every superstar tries to put in the back of his mind. Last Monday was a stark reminder of what can really happen. I wasn't expecting that uh, at all. Uh, I don't know what's going on with Sean in real life here. I, I don't know. But I got the feeling that there was more going on, which is why they wanted to take him up TV or something. I don't really know. But there, you know how these, you know, we grew up with these little montages uh, and then them saying, don't try this at home and stuff. And this is basically a longer version of that. Like, hey, these guys put their lives on the line. Uh, he got a concussion. I, they're not talking about concussions these days because they know and they still, wrestling is still the same but they still do it because it's just what wrestling is. So there's nothing you can say, but they won't talk about it now. So at the time, it's kind of crazy to them to be talking about. He had a post-concussion syndrome or whatever it's called and, you know, stuff like that. So they're really going in depth on that. And so they're like, this is what can happen when you step in the ring and that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like they're not making a bigger storyline out of this, which is what surprised me. So I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I have no idea, but they're not like tying it into any specific storyline that I can see. So I was surprised Not yet. by that. Just wait. Not, okay, not well, the nine, the nine Marines from They're Syracuse thugs. are going to come in. Yeah, they They're are thugs. thugs. You're absolutely right. <laughs> They're hooligans. So, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we get the raw intro. We start to pan the crowd. The commentary runs down tonight's show. Before we go to our first matchup, Rad Radford, the body Donna in training against the Pearl River powerhouse Ahmed Johnson. Dude, Ahmed Johnson coming to the ring has such good, like, physical charisma. He just yeah. looks like a main eventer. He carries yep. himself like a main eventer. Mm -hmm. uh, Rad Radford jumps Ahmed Johnson before the bell. No effect. Ahmed with a series of punch in the corner and then sends Rad all the way over the top rope and to the floor. During the matchup, Mr. Backlund is in the crowd once again campaigning for the office of the President of the United States of America. At least he's in America campaigning this week yeah. and not in Canada. 
Uh, Ahmed Johnson with a big scissors kick, followed up by a bicycle kick, flooring Rad Rad for both very surprising moves from Ahmed Johnson. Uh, Ahmed continues with a massive spine buster as Vince McMahon announces at In Your House 5 on December the 17th, Ahmed Johnson will go one-on-one -on -one with Dean Douglas. Ahmed Johnson with a Pearl River plunge, and he gets the 1-2-3. Quick painless victory for Ahmed Johnson. After the matchup, the King interviews Ahmed Johnson. And the King says that Dean Douglas is going to teach Ahmed Johnson a lesson. Ahmed begins to speak. Why do they keep interviewing him after he's already blown up for having a match? And then Dean Douglas makes his way to ringside. Dean says, The road to superstardom here in the world, Wrestling Federation, takes place in my classroom. Well, I tell you what then. Ring the bell, punk classes start. But the referees are holding Dean Douglas back. Why are they holding the heel back? Like, Dean should be running away, and they're holding him back like he wants to go. Yep. Makes no sense. I, you said all that can be said, really. The dude is a monster. I love watching him. Uh, can't wait to see what he does next, you know? We get a commercial for the WWF Tour de Force. Uh, I, I bring this up because they're having three more shows in Ohio. There were so many wrestling shows in Ohio in 1995. Like, way more than there are now. I don't get it, man. I mean, I, I, we'd also be broke if we tried to go out to these shows now. Uh, we got a commercial break. We come back. Jerry Lawler eating a king-size Twix bar. Oh, okay. I see what you did there. Before they send it to a Shawn Michaels update. Like, those two things do not go together. Shawn Michaels' medical problems began not in the ring. They began outside the squared circle on October 13th. Michaels was brutally attacked by nine thugs in a parking lot outside of a Syracuse nightclub. Nonetheless, John Michaels was anxious to return to action. But did he return too soon? Only his friends knew that he was suffering from dizziness, nausea, depression, and even some blackouts, all of which we now know are classic symptoms of post-concussion syndrome. But unquestionably, the cumulative effect of all of this trauma finally took its frightening toll in an almost surreal moment last week, Michaels collapsed. A stunned national television audience looking on as ring attendants sought medical attention for the fallen superstar, and all of us at the Richmond Coliseum stood in silence, hoping against our worst fears. Finally, Michaels did regain consciousness. He was rushed to the hospital for observation and later released. Michael's suffering the classic symptoms of post-concussion syndrome and will need some time to recuperate. But we are pleased to announce that Shawn Michaels does indeed intend to return to action as soon as he possibly can. And I would suggest that when he does, he's likely to be even more flamboyant and even more resilient than ever before. So what's going on here? I, I honestly don't know. Mm. Um, I don't know. I don't know the shoot reason behind it. Um, I know the storyline that they work into it, but mm. um, I mean, it, it, this is the problem. Is like Shawn Michaels at this point, like the Shawn Michaels in '95 and the Shawn Michaels of like 2002 or yeah. even now are such different people. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's a it's a loaded question. I feel like, and I, and I don't think any of us. I don't even know if Shawn Michaels can answer that question, mm. which, as bad as that sounds. Yeah. 
Well, we go to our next matchup. It's a women's tag team matchup stemming out of the Survivor Series. Aja Kong and Tomoko Watanabe against Alundra Blaze and Kyoko Inoue. But before the match, Barry Dadinsky's ringside. Dadinsky is selling an amazing Triple Crown Bret Hart t-shirt for only 20 bucks, and I think I need it. Mm -hmm. I, oh, yeah. I, I could not find one on eBay, though. Uh, also, it'd probably be like hundreds of dollars at this point. I because, imagine so, yeah. Yeah, I, I would be very mad. The match jump starts during the sales pitch as Aja Kong gets taken down with a double drop kick. Aja takes down Kyoko with an, with an avalanche splash and follows up with another splash. Aja Kong is so fun to watch. But we talked about it in the WCW matchup, and it happens again here. The commentators take a bunch of time, especially for the heels, talking about their appearances. Yeah, eat your heart out, Princess Die. What? I don't think you have to worry about Aja Kong having bulimia. Alundra Blaze joining forces with Kyoko Inoue. She's the one that got the Beatles back together, right? I No, I don't believe so. That was uh, Yoko Ono, I believe. Oh, okay. And take a look at the uh, shape, if you would, on Aja Kong. I would suggest she would not be uh, competing in the, uh, in the Olympics. A couple of extra what? chromosomes there or something. What? Well, look at her. She's shaped kind of like a, a smo, if you would. I don't know. Reminiscent of the, uh, I don't know, sort of a the look of brother love last we saw him in any event. All I can tell you is she's prettier than a lumber blaze. From the buckle drop kick, nicely done. Good thing that wasn't in Aja Kong's pretty face. Unquestionably. How'd you like to be in the ring with either one of those four ladies? No thanks. I used to think there was nothing uglier than a bowling shoe. And not only the heels this time. Guess what? There's someone in the audience, a woman in the audience, and they bring her looks into it. Like, this This is just a random fan in the audience. What are you talking about, man? Wow. Hey, look, there's Isaac Kong's American counterpart, Queen Kong. I I don't understand what like what is going on in these matches because, again, this matchup's fun. Watanabe misses a springboard crossbody before Inoue puts her in a really nice surfboard submission. Alundra with a nice evade in the quarter before ramming Watanabe into the top turnbuckle. Aja Kong with a huge delayed vertical suplex to Inoue. As we go to a commercial break, we come back for the commercial. Inoue takes down Kong and Watanabe with a series of clotheslines. Inoue then with a top rope coffin drop to Watanabe out of nowhere. Like, what? <laughs> That's not on my 1995 bingo card. Right. Uh, Watanabe answers with a springboard crossbody, before, but before she can follow up, Inoue runs up the ropes and belly-to-belly -belly suplexes Watanabe off of the top rope. Like, what is she, Kurt Angle now? Hmm. What is happening in this match? Alundra tags in, takes down Aja Kong with a series of missile dropkicks, misses the third. Aja Kong misses a diving splash, though, as Alundra moves out of the way. In a way, attempts a powerbomb as Vince says. By the way, now would be a good time to mention that uh, Aja Kong, a proponent, much like Lady Di, of safe sex. And Aja Kong, although not too likely to be uh, joining Lady Di on the Norwegian Condom Company advertisement. Oh, my! What are you talking about, McMahon? There's absolutely nothing in Princess Di's steamy love letters oh. about a Norwegian Condom Company ad. What in the literal f is happening? No one knows, dude. This match is rocking and rolling, and Vince drops that on commentary out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> I, 
I literally had to pause this episode watching it to believe what I just heard. Oh, yeah. No one knows what this man is going to do from one minute to the next. I don't think he knows. Oh, yeah. Aja Kong misses the spinning back fist, but dumps Inoue on her head with a back suplex. Ouch, town population, you, bro. And then delivers the spinning back fist for the win. That match was a better tag team match than the WCW match, but the commentary ruined that match. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, what just, what's going on here? Like, Alundra Blaze is great, and I wish there were more women in the division. Like, who, who, what genius decided to have a women's championship when you got, like, two wrestlers in your division? Like, her and Big Bertha, and who else? Sonny's not even wrestling at this point, I don't think, is she? I haven't seen her. Like, I, I, what's going on here? Like, there's so much talent that could be there. I'm not going to go all about this, because we talked about this time and time again, and we will for the next 20 years, but, you know, it is what it is. They're, during the match, they're going off talking about God knows what. They're talking about, they spent a minute talking about Princess Diana for some reason. What are, what are you talking about, man? That was the safe sex stuff. And I literally had no idea. Like, that, clearly that's a 1995 reference that I yeah, don't know I and so. don't have a desire to look up. So it's, yeah, it's wild, man. The, the thing is, and we talked about it before, like the division is thin. Imagine... Aja Kong, Watanabe, Inoue, Blaze. A year prior, the WWF also had Luna Vachon and had Bull Nakano. The six of them could have carried this division. Yep. And Big Bertha. The six of them could have carried this. <laughs> I mean, you could put Bertha, Bertha in there if you want. After the matchup, we get a replay of Diesel losing his cool with the Survivor Series, attacking Bret Hart and the referee. Then we also get highlights of his kind of worked shoot promo last week on Raw. We got a commercial break. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> we get the Brother Love Show. <laughs> with Bret the Hitman Hart. Brother Love says Bret Hart needs a lesson in love. He's a man with a lot of heart, but no love. He says that we should call the hitman a marked man. Brother Love mentions how Bret Hart's match with Diesel was one of the toughest matches ever. Brother Love speculates that Bret Hart is afraid of, D of The Undertaker. Brother Love says that Bret Hart makes his mother cry. Don't you talk about his mama. How dare you? She's a nice lady. Brother Love says Bret Hart's already fought his brother, and now he has to fight his brother-in-law. If you're wondering why I keep starting these sentences with Brother Love says, it's because Brother Love won't shut up. Yup. He is dominating this promo over the world champion. Uh, bro, watch. If anyone is on the fence about Bruce Pritchard, watch this and you'll hate the man. Like, I, I, I hate Brother Love. I hate him. This is the worst interview segment we've seen so far, and they have Doc Hendricks, okay? <laughs> so, let, I mean, th first of all, I hate when they play music over segments. I can't stand that. Uh, and so they have his ridiculous music going on. They have the red lights, which is fine. He's got his red painted face and whatever, what whatever. He, anytime Brett starts to talk, he takes the mic away and starts talking again and everything. It's so annoying. He's the worst interviewer of all time. 
worse than Doc Hend I would rather watch 10 Doc Hendricks interviews than watch this. But he's a good heel. Well, <laughs> so is Michael Cole, if you want to go there. Right. And I'd rather see the coal mine, I think. Eventually, Bret Hart gets sick of Brother Love and steals the microphone. He says, to achieve great things, you have to live like you're never going to die. He calls Diesel cheap for his actions after the match and says that, well, Diesel's always been cheap. Brett says he'll cross the bridge of The Undertaker when he gets there. And he tells Brother Love, You can shut up about my mother, too. That was the best line of this promo. Leave Martha alone. And then we talk about Wembley Stadium and... 1992 and SummerSlam. Like we haven't heard that a million times. Here's the thing. Brett says that match is still on his mind. But like from from that match to now, Bret Hart's won three WWF titles and the King of the Ring and the Royal Rumble. The Bulldog left the WWF, went to WCW, and then came back. Like, he has completely redone it, uh, restarted his career. We are so removed from the Bret Hart and Bulldog of 92. Like, these are different people, basically. He says Bulldog's gonna find out it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and the Bulldog will learn what goes around, comes around. Bret says he's gonna prove once again he's the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And then out of nowhere, Bob Backlund jumps Bret Hart from behind and locks on the crossface chicken wing, choking out Bret Hart at the end of this segment. Choking out. Backlund's a legend, but that move is not it, Chief. I did say this caught me off guard. I did not yeah, expect too. this. Yeah, me either. Um, the problem is, so this is stemming out of, at the 1994 Survivor Series, Bret Hart loses the WWF title to Bob Backlund when Owen Hart throws or Owen Hart convinces Martha to throw the towel in. They have a rematch at WrestleMania 11 in maybe Bret Hart's worst WrestleMania match, and that's including the Vince match. Oh God, <laughs> it's not. Oh, I forgot good. that existed until you mentioned it. So thanks for it's, that. So I, I I'm terrified of what we're gonna. I'm assuming this leads to a match. I know it's not on a pay-per-view. I'm hoping it sneaks onto like superstars, so we never have to see it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so yeah, Bret Hart is a marked man. He's got the British Bulldog. Diesel's looking for revenge, and now Bob Backlund's in the mix. So uh, yep. maybe the Hitman is the marked man. Maybe maybe Brother Love was right. Well, he is. That's what they. Isn't that what they say all the time? You got a target on your back, brother. Every champion for the last 50 years has said that. Oh, I got a I know I got a target on my back and I got a whatever. I mean, come on. So, yeah, he is right. We got a commercial break. We come back to our next matchup. Triple H is in the ring against John Crystal. During Triple H's entrance, we get a side-by-side -side promo with Henry O'Gavin and his family. Priscilla and Potbelly, the pigs. That was the thing. Yep. On the Tour de Force tour in Madison Square Garden, Howard Finkel got slopped. They say Triple H hid behind Howard Finkel. They had footage of the show and didn't show him hiding behind Finkel. And who wouldn't, honestly? If I got to see that slap bucket come, coming towards me, I had, I'd hide behind my own grandma, okay? So don't slap me, brother. Grandma Skaggs is a lady. She's a nice lady. How dare yeah. you? Yeah. Well, even so, sorry, grandma, you're going down. <laughs> Vince McMahon reminds on commentary that Triple H is undefeated. In singles competition. Triple H delivers the high knee to John Crystal before slapping him in the face in the corner. Triple H blocks a back body drop and delivers the pedigree. And then right before the pin, he slaps John Crystal so hard in the face. My only thought is that 
when John Chrysler's fighting out of the corner, he potatoes Triple H with one of those punches. Because mm. Triple H is pissed. And that was the match. And once again, we get ridiculous commentary. They start talking about Barbara Walters and Oprah for some reason. What are you talking about, man? What, are the, what is with the commentary? It's, it's these taped episodes, man. They're like reading the New York Times or whatever. <laughs> Like, as they're doing the commentary, like, what's, what's yeah. current today? Like, just stop it. After the matchup, it's an, we get two matches announced for In Your House Five Seasons beatings. Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty will go against the 1-2-3 Kid and Sid. Also at In Your House, Owen Hart is issuing an open challenge. Since in his words, everyone is afraid to face Owen Hart after what he did to Shawn Michaels. He calls himself the Heartbreaker, and that's such a good nickname I wish he would have stuck with. Yeah, it is. So, we have the Owen Hart Open Challenge, Razor and Marty against Sid and the Kid, Ahmed Johnson against Dean Douglas, and then we have the Arkansas Hogpen matchup, Triple H and Henry Godwin, and the British Bulldog against Bret Hart for the WWF title, all signed for In Your House on on December the 17th. Sounds good. I think it sounds good. I don't have any clue what's going to happen. Uh, I know who's going to walk out with a, with the world title. I know that. But the other matches, I have no clue what's going to happen. I don't know if Triple H is getting slopped. I kind of feel like he should, like he, his streak shouldn't be beat by Henry Godwin, of all people. Like, <laughs> no, nothing against him, by all means. But, uh, well, I I guess we got recency bias now because he's Triple H, but he wasn't Triple H then. So maybe he will lose. I don't know. He's getting slopped either way, though. I think even if he does pull out a win... He'll still get slopped somehow. I don't know, because everybody wants to see that. The fans are paying to see my man get slopped. Um, so, Owen Hart. I think Owen Hart is great right now. Uh, he's talking about the Open Challenge, and he said, whoever steps up to me is going to, you know, it's going to end up for him like it did for Shawn Michaels. And I thought, that's good. So, I'm looking, for, I'm looking forward to the pay-per-view, really. I, I think they're doing a pretty good job building up this pay-per-view, especially knowing that WCW Starcade is going to be really solid as well. Oh, you mean so. WCW Forbidden Door? Hey, that's the thing with the, with the guys. You said the, you said the stuff. The, the internet people like that. <laughs> also, next week on Raw, Dean Douglas will get his rematch for the Intercontinental Championship against the bad guy, Razor Ramon. So really could change the complexion of In Your House 5. Because if Dean Douglas wins next week, then Ahmed Johnson is technically the number one contender for the Intercontinental title. Good point. I'm looking forward to that because Razor Ramon is my absolute favorite WWF wrestler right now. So anytime he's on the screen is just paradise for me, dude. Love him. We now go to our main event. It is the battle for the remnants of the urn, the supreme fighting machine of the Million Dollar Corporation, Kama Mustafa, against The Undertaker. The music plays for the Million Dollar Man, and Kama comes out to ringside on crutches. Wearing the remnants of the urn. Ted DiBiase says Kama is unable to wrestle tonight, but he has paid for the services of another superstar. Sir Mo? What did you pay? 37 cents? I'm going to take a leak. This guy sucks. And the way it turned out was like Owen Hart in the triple header. Like, I, I'm so... Can they go a week without bait and switch, dude? Is Vince McMahon... He's the biggest carny a-hole of all time. <laughs> 
Can he go a week without bait and switching us, dude? I hate this. Paul Bearer leads the Undertaker of the ring, still wearing their protective face mask. They've now added the wind sound effects during his entrance, and those are super loud. Like, did you notice that? There's so much going on. Uh, this is Undertaker's first matchup on Raw since the six-man tag where Mabel and Yoko crushed his face. Undertaker slams Mo before DiBiase grabs his ankle, allowing Mo to clothesline him to the floor. The Undertaker grabs Ted DiBiase by the throat until Kama makes the save with no crutches. See what I mean? It's the triple header all over again. Kama and DiBiase start to double team the Undertaker on the floor. Undertaker eventually floors Mo with a big boot and then delivers the leaping clothesline. Undertaker rolls out and attacks Kama, sending him into the steel stairs. And then Kama and Ted DiBiase just leave to the locker room. As the Undertaker delivers a choke slam to Mo, nice layout with the choke slam though. Gets the pinfall win. So like, DiBiase just straight up gave up on the urn. After the bell, King Mabel makes his way to ringside. Mabel tries to steal the urn. Undertaker grabs that, and then out comes Yoko Zuna and Jim Cornette. Yoko Zuna comes face to face with the Undertaker. Undertaker hands the urn to Paul Bear and squares up to Yoko Zuna. And then Mabel attacks Paul Bear and steals the urn as the Undertaker follows him to the back. Chaos. That was the most convoluted way to get to Mabel having possession of the remnants of the urn. Yeah. So my question is, is he going to keep it? Is he somehow in, in league with, with Ted DiBiase now? Is he going to give it to him? Is he going to keep it? I don't know what's going on here, dude. This is so chaotic, which is reminiscent of... What happened on Nitro? A similar thing with all these guys coming from the back and stuff. The difference is, Nitro had guys we actually wanted to see. And, and Nitro didn't have Camp Cornette, the Million Dollar Corporation, and the King's Court all trying to go for the same little uh, blinged out necklace at this point. I See, I don't know what's going to happen for the next year and a half in WWE. Maybe we're going to get an earn on a pole match. I don't know. But that's an idea. Luckily, this gets solved quicker than good. It, it, so, <laughs> are they gonna? Let me just ask you this: Are they gonna melt the chain down and make it into an urn again? Is that gonna happen? No, I, I forget. I forget how they get back to the urn. Come on, because I forget how they get there. But Bro, think think of how good a segment that would be. You go to like a blacksmith or something like that, like an old timey blacksmith, and you see him, and he melts it down, and he got's got the hammer on the anvil and stuff, and then. You see him giving it to Paul. I should be a writer. This is good. You hand, and the, Paul, oh, yes. And then, you know, that would have been a good segment. I would have liked to have seen that. Shut up and take my money. Okay, here's my question, though. The urn was supposed to... Have, <laughs> it gives Undertaker power, but it was supposed to have his dead parents in there. Right. Right? Even though they, they also have tombstones and grave sites that we see in two years when Kane sets them on fire. So, like... There's so many plot holes. I don't know where to start with this anymore. Uh, we go to commercial break. We come back. Next week on Raw, they hype up two matches. The Intercontinental Championship match we already talked about. And then Marty Jannetty is going to go one-on-one with Sid. This is stemming out of two weeks ago on Raw when Sid powerbombed Marty on the floor. So a little preview for the tag team matchup at In Your House 5. Raw goes off the air. That episode sucked. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know we're supposed to wait. To, to, to pick who won, but that episode sucked. You know, uh, maybe maybe it should be a tie again. What do you think? What do you, you know, I don't know. Piss off. Put it, 
I think your I think your video fee went static like that World War Three clip. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't hear you for a second. Oh God. Um, well, a picture says a thousand words. All right. Well, what, oh, is the man. what does the picture say about ECW? Because this episode uh, also sucked. God Almighty. I don't know, but whatever it is, it's got to have beach music in the background. I don't know. <laughs> Not the Cow- beach music. Cowabunga, dude. So uh, I'd like, yeah, man. This I'd wild. like to. I'd like to say this um, before we go through ECW Hardcore TV this week. Um, after watching this ECW Hardcore TV episode, I spent an hour researching. What was all available on the WWE Network on Peacock? And the reason I did this is because starting soon, when available, we are going to skip four weeks of ECW Hardcore TV and just watch the, I hate to use this term, but like the premium live event because they weren't pay-per-views the special event that these ep- that these matches come from. Because right now we're still getting highlights from the November to Remember. So when available, we're just going to watch the, 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 the not paid for pay-per-view and skip four weeks of edited down ridiculous episodes of ECW that make no sense. This episode stole my soul. Sounds like a plan to me, brother. Because this, this was bad. I tell you what, there there's a couple of parts that I thought was you know was good or funny or whatever, but you know it's yeah. You wanna this is ECW in '95. Let me tell you, it was so it's ECW is just so insane, bro. I don't know what else to say. Show opens with clips from last week as Paul Heyman was dimming down the lights, and we get the return of Sabu, which is a good return for ECW. We transition to Joey Styles freaking out about the return, and then of course he drops his famous line. If you missed this year's ECW intro kicks in, but then it's interrupted by Paul Heyman. It's time to get extreme. Before we get a long Sabu highlight package, I think they show every ECW moonsault Sabu has ever done, including multiple clips of Sabu moonsaulting himself through an empty table. It This goes on for minutes. And there's no audio. It's just one, like, generic rock song and a bunch of moonsaults. We go to commercial break. We come back, and Joey Styles is advertising the ECW November to remember D- VHS tape. I was a DVD. It's 1995, and it's ECW. You stupid idiot. Bro, we should try to find some of these old tapes, though, for real. See how much they would cost. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I'll, I can keep my eye out. I don't know how we'd watch it, though. Do you have a, v- do you have a VCR? I don't know. Maybe you don't have, you don't have a you, you don't have a disc drive on your laptop. Uh, no, I don't. Anyway, Joey Styles is interrupted by Taz, who says, "I need you to be the ring announcer." And then we cut to Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr. talking backstage. See, this is good. They're interrupted by the Dudley Boys. Well, the Dudley family. Bubba's asking for advice while dances with Dudley. What's Rey Mysterio to teach him how to fly? It's so. Random. Why is this a thing on this episode? We go to our first matchup. It is the sexiest man alive, Jason, against Conan. Joey Styles introduces Taz, whose music plays for an awkwardly long time after he's in the ring. Turn the fucking music! Turn the fucking music off! The is the matter with you? Turn it the off! Turn it the off! 
thank you. And it just, and no one says anything, and the music just doesn't stop. Joey asks Taz why he's dressed like this, being a referee shirt. Why do you think, Joey? I just got back from the Foot Locker. <laughs> Had to work a double with the Foot Locker. He probably did, honestly. Taz says ECW won't give him clearance, so he's here to enforce his will, referencing his broken neck. Jason gets in Taz's face, runs him down, saying he's never been the same since Jason pinned him. Taz punches Jason before ringing the bell. Conan hits the Splash Mountain on Jason. Taz delivers the fast count. Conan wins. I'm always happy to see Conan win, I'll say that, but, you know... That's not the important part of this uh, match here. It's just, it's what Taz has got going for him. And Taz will be back later in the episode. We come back from commercial. Joey Styles tells us Mikey Whipwreck is a fighting champion before kicking it to highlights of Rey Mysterio and Mikey Whipwreck. Not from the November to remember. It's also on a fan cam. <laughs> right. <laughs> even says it on the screen like the match took place inside of like a barn did you notice that yeah it's like somebody set up a ring and chairs in a barn it's like an indie show but it's on tv yeah exactly you could tell the match was good but we only saw the highlights it didn't last very long yeah we get clipped up highlights ray mysterio with a beautiful rope walking hurricane run before mikey answers back with a headsters of his own mikey with a nice leg lariat taking ray mysterio from the top rope all the way to the floor mikey then follows up with a flip plancha from the floor into the crowd of ray mysterio with mikey on the floor ray mysterio hits a somersault plancha of his own ray with a top rope frankensteiner only gets a two count and then mikey with a mahi straw cradle pins ray mysterio to retain the title I mean, it looked like a fun match, I guess, but like... I'm sure it was. It was fun for the people in the barn. Yeah. Not us. Nope. You know what else wasn't fun? Lance. Getting, getting whiplash yep. and vertigo and motion sickness and everything else from Lance Wright. Why was the camera moving so much? Who directed they, this? Was it Kevin Dunn? Bro, they always do this with him. Like, it's just with him. This was worse than normal. Is this, what's going on? Whose idea was it to just have this guy have the worst camera work ever? What's going on here? What's going on? Here comes more talking to somebody on the phone. And this was even more disjointed than usual. Because you could tell, like, I ain't just not really talking to this guy on the phone. Yeah, Austin recorded a promo on a phone and then lance is trying to talk around it he's on the phone with superstar steve austin i will say austin starts this off going i don't know how the hell you got the superstar's phone number let me tell you something you miserable little punk the last time a punk called my house he ended up firing me over the telephone no less have you not used a phone since 1994 probably i wouldn't He's sitting there in his house, the phone's ringing. Oh no, I can't touch the phone. Gonna get fired again. You're unemployed. I can't I can't touch the phone. Basically, he says on December the 9th, he's walking out as the ECW World Champion, and it's announced that at you ready for this? December to dismember. Man, that gives me like the ugh, the heebie jeebies. That show sucked. It's gonna be Mikey Whipwreck versus Steve Austin versus the Sandman in an elimination three-way for the ECW world title, but only if Mikey Whipwreck gets past Raven at a house show on Friday. Joey Styles hypes up our next matchup after we go to commercial break. It's Bill Alfonso against Todd Gordon. We get a little bit of a recap. They mentioned how Shane Douglas, after losing the ECW world title to Sandman, brought in his own Pennsylvania state-licensed referee, Bill Alfonso, to provide a, quote, more WWF style. I kind of dig that. 
Bill Alfonso used to work for the WWF. Makes sense. Bill Alfonso attacks Todd Gordon and in the run-up to this match, eventually gets chokeslammed by 9-1-1, which sends Bill Alfonso over the edge. First of all, 9-1-1's gimmick of I'm just going to come in and chokeslam people. I love it. I, there's nothing wrong with this gimmick. Especially in that crowd, it worked. Bill Alfonso attacks Todd Gordon in the, in the run-up to this matchup and eventually gets into a fight with Beulah, who is the special guest referee. I'd like you to look at Beulah McGillicuddy as she refs this matchup. No problem. Oh, okay. And then I'd like you to imagine Earl Hebner in Beulah's attire. There's a female fan. As Beulah's making her entrance, she's kind of like on the hard camp side. She is staring a hole through Beulah McGillicuddy as Beulah is just playing with her belly button ring. And if looks could kill, Beulah would be dead. Mm-hmm. Like, this lady is so unhappy to be at the ECW show. She's like, "What? this is not what I was promised when I said we're going to a bingo hall. I Yeah, I don't blame her. She was thinking, B-52, not... Oh, there's Beulah. Villafonso dives off the apron and jumpstarts this fight, sending Todd Gordon into the front row. Alfonso gets in the ring and shoves Beulah, who slaps him back, and then Bill Alfonso clotheslines Beulah McGillicuddy. Couple things to note in this matchup. Beulah dies. Like, she's just gone the rest of this matchup. And this is not the only time Bill Alfonso and Beulah McGillicuddy get physical in the ECW arena. Mm-hmm. At some point, we are going to cover maybe... The most underrated and important ECW match, at least for two non-wrestlers, between yeah. Bill Alfonso and Beulah McGillicuddy. We'll get there yeah. eventually. But for two non-wrestlers, this match is kind of fun. Like, it's awful and it's sloppy, but it's kind of fun because, yeah. the, because the crowd's into it. They are chanting, we want blood. For They want Bill yes. Alfonso to bleed. These now see, savages. Now see... Cactus Jack was right the whole time. These fans, they just want blood. Cactus Jack was right. Make that a hashtag. Make that a t-shirt. Crying out loud, we want blood. And that's not even the worst chant we heard tonight, but we'll get to that in a minute. Todd Gordon with a running springboard double foot stomp out of the corner. Color me surprised. Uh, after a low blow, Bill Alfonso takes over but gets hit in the head with a cookie sheet by Todd Gordon. Todd rams Bill's head into a chair. And now Bill Alfonso is busted open. He's wearing the crimson mask, brother. And the ECW crowd couldn't be happier that this skinny oh, yeah. little white man with terrible teeth and an annoying voice is bleeding. <laughs> you freaking monsters. Todd with a low blow and then a frying pan to the face of Bill Alfonso. Always with the frying pans, man. People just bring whatever from their kitchen and, and give them to the wrestlers to fight with. And I love it. We haven't even got to the prosthetic leg yet. I love that too. But there's no referee as Beulah is still down. Todd signals for another ref. Here comes Taz. It's Taz. Taz tells Gordon to hook the leg, but then Taz stops his count and punches Todd Gordon in the face. Bill Alfonso gets put on top. Taz counts the pin. The match was better than it should have been. Oh, yeah. Because the crowd was into it. But it's, re- it's really the aftermath. Taz grabs the microphone. Taz goes on a rant. Before we get to the promo, thoughts on the match? Uh, it was fun. It absolutely was. I give huge props to Todd, Todd Gordon for this. Uh, he put his heart and soul into this and Belfonso. Uh, they just beat the crap out of each other, and I love it. And by the end of the match, like, these guys are not wrestlers, obviously. By the end of the match, Todd is gassed, bro. And uh, but I give him, I give him major props for this. It was fun. 
It was sloppy, crazy, ridiculous fun. And it's it's ironic that these two have the match because in 1997, there's a rumor of a mole in ECW releasing contract information to WCW so they can poach talent. The mole is Todd Gordon. His accomplice is Bill Alfonso. Todd Gordon gets fired. Bill Alfonso has a street fight with Beulah, which saves his job. That's a legit story. That's nuts. And, and we'll get to that match, and it is insane. I have seen the Bill Alfonso-Beulah match. For, for two non-wrestlers, your jaw is on the ground. Speaking of jaw on the ground, Taz cuts a promo that kind of uh, puts my jaw on the floor for a minute. He is cutting yep. a vicious promo. He yep. says how, unlike Tommy Dreamer and Terry Funk and Sabu, no one cared about him when he broke his neck. The crowd starts to chant, F*** you, Taz. He goes, no, f*** you. He, I mean, he's dropping F-bombs left and right, too. I mean, this is ECW. That's, well, I don't hate that. He's using the environment and the hostility to really cut a, an inspired and impassioned promo. He says the only person that cared about him and his problems is Bill Alfonso. And the crowd starts to respond to the very mature suck his dick chant. Very mature, guys. Imagine my surprise. Like, I know, like I just heard them five minutes before chant, we want blood. I never would have imagined that five minutes later we'd be hearing a crowd chant suck his dick suck his dick over and over again and i my jaw was on the floor and i i even texted jr about it i'm like bro are they saying what i think they're saying bro what is up with this crowd ecw crowd man cactus jack was right first of all second of all this is the most rabid like this could not be recreated by czw or gcw this was just nuts man I mean, this ECW crowd was insane. Taz has officially turned heel and aligned with Bill Alfonso, and the crowd is not about it. We go to commercial break. We come back. Joey Style is with Bill Alfonso. Alfonso says he's a winner, and he's going to keep on winning. He issues an open challenge to any ECW champion. He wants to be a champion. Joey Styles says it's a joke before Taz interrupts him. Joey questions what Taz said, and Joey's clearly heartbroken about this. Like, he is heartbroken that Taz has turned to the dark side. Taz says Joey needs to find someone new to look up to. Taz isn't that guy anymore. And then Taz challenges Joey Styles to insult Bill Alfonso again. Joey just drops the mic and walks out. Good choice. We got a commercial break. We come back. Bill Alfonso's still on the mic. Taz says, if you want a piece of Bill, you have to get through him first. And then nothing else happens in this episode. There That's is right. Not a- it's over. Let's move on to next week. Oh, no. I hear the damn beach music again. Oh, God, here it comes. Uh, it's the beach montage. I hear montage. it in my sleep. It's the ECW montage. There's a lot of stuff going on about this. Too much. The, o- the only things that I'm going to bring up. Cactus Jack is talking. Well, actually, Mick Foley, Mick Foley is talking. Well, I feel like somehow we've undergone a small misunderstanding. It hurts me, and, and I feel like I can talk to you fans because I am hardcore. Because even when I was with different other wrestling organizations, the hardcore fans seemed to gather around me because I was hardcore. And we seemed to have more than just a fan-wrestler relationship. No, I'm not going to be with you people this next coming show, although I'd like to because I have commitments elsewhere. But I'd like to feel that I could be there in spirit. 
I'd like to feel that I could help. And so I'm going to go out on a line here and, and ask you for a personal favor. And I'll, I know I, I don't deserve it because of my actions, but I'd like to just just start all over. Because I think part of the problem is, well, it's Tommy, and it stems from a very good part of his heart where he wants nothing else but to make you fans happy. And I know how it used to hurt him when you called him names and said he wasn't hardcore. And I think he's gone over the edge trying to prove you wrong. And I think it's reached a point where, you know, he's suffering some moral and physical consequences for his action. And I'd like to see that stop. And you have the power to do that, ECW fans, by just, you know, not encouraging hardcore behavior because I know Tommy and deep down he's a nice sensitive kid and he'd no sooner hit someone with a frying pan than I would you know hurt a harmless animal and I don't want to hurt animals and I know Tommy doesn't want to hurt people and I think it's time that the fans accepted Tommy for the sweet sensitive guy he can be and not this this guy who's trying to hurt me and and he dragged the hardcore out of me because I am hardcore and, and, and now we're at a, a place where everything's in its place. I'm hardcore. I think we're back to where we used to be where the fans accept me and, and kind of forgive me for some of the things I might have said and don't encourage Tommy and I think that we'll all be a lot better off. So until next time, let's put up those fingers. Bang, bang! Mick Foley explaining throughout this promo why he's hardcore is the only redeeming part. You see this ear here? It's all there while this one, it's missing. So are my teeth, which makes me hardcore. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. He's got the pencil. <laughs> the pencil he can't put behind his ear because it's gone. That sounds good. Let me just put this pen behind my ear. Oops. It fell because I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore! Oh, pardon me. I seem to have got some watercress sandwich stuck in my teeth. Does anyone have some dental floss? Oh, never mind. Oh, oh, oh. This will do the trick because after all, I'm hardcore! I'm hardcore! I'm hardcore! Right. I was going to say the exact same thing. This whole thing is a cluster. We got... Stevie Richards, we got the Pit Bulls, we got Public Enemy, we got, you know, so on and so forth. The Eliminators. Mick, Mick Foley, yeah, I forgot what they were called, so I'm glad you said that. Mick Foley saves this whole thing and makes it worth watching, which is the, a lot of ECW, really, in 95. Um, he even, he, ha he has sunglasses one one time, and he has them on like this. Look, I can't even wear glasses because my ear's missing. I'm hardcore. I'm hardcore. So funny. Because I'm hardcore, and they splice it through uh, the other promos, which is the greatest part. Like, you'll see Stevie Richards, then Mick Foley will come in, and then you'll see, like, uh, Public Enemy come in, and then Mick Foley will come in saying, you know, I can't wear my sunglasses, but I'm So great. Mick Foley is just a legend. Like, I don't, there's no bigger word that you can say. He is a legend. That, that is what it is. You know, who also legend, you know who else is a legend, though? Bubba uh, Ray Dudley. Okay, I was going to say uh, Rocco Rock, but that works, too. I mean, Bubba Ray Dudley has a nice quality pickup line nag since some Beulah McGillicuddy because the Dudleys were in Beulah's box. Hi, I'm Beulah, and thanks for taking a peek at my box. Oh, hey, honey. What are you saying? You really the alphabet. We'll put you and I together. <laughs> also, there was a Dudley 316 sign. Did you see that? 
No, I didn't. Wow. So, I missed sign that guy, somehow. Sign Guy Dudley had a Dudley 316 sign. Oh, my God. Uh, That's incredible. The, the, the promo montage ends with Mick Foley and a giant stuffed raccoon named Charlie. <laughs> what? Oh, God. He's so great. <laughs> it makes no sense, but it works at the same time. Oh, yeah. The, the the bits of the promo that aren't Mick Foley or Beulah's box are highlighting the December to Dismember's main event. It's in addition to the three-way dance for the ECW World title. It is an Ultimate Jeopardy steel cage match. This is the most convoluted match ever. What 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 was the other cage match they had that was really convoluted with the public enemy in it? That was the public enemy against Sandman and... That wasn't convoluted. They had the tag match that was convoluted. I thought, I thought the cage match... Well, whatever. Either way. Well, here, they uh, they the, really love the, these insane matches. Well, here's the ultimate Jeopardy match. Tommy Dreamer, the public enemy, and the Pitbulls take on Raven, Stevie Richards, the Eliminators, and the Heavenly Bodies... Of Jimmy Del Rey and a Doctor of Desire Tom Pritchard mm. in a six-on-five war game style cage match. Whoever loses the fall has to get a stipulation and a punishment enforced upon them. So okay. here, here's what happens. If Tommy Dreamer loses Ultimate Jeopardy, he gets his head shaved. It's different for every person? Yes. Oh my god. If the public enemy lose the fall, they will be forced to wrestle each other one-on-one. If the Pitbulls lose the fall, they're forced to split up, and whoever defeats them, it says, gets Francine for a week. Oh my if, God! He'll, her and her and the Diamond Doll Kimberly can form a club together or something. I guess. I don't. I don't think that's the same kind of get her for a week as the Diamond Doll. Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, if Raven loses, whoever defeats him gets Beulah for a week. If Stevie Richards loses, he's locked in the cage for five minutes with Tommy with Dreamer. No, with Tommy Dreamer, the public enemy, and the Pitbulls. Jeez. If the Eliminators lose, they are forced to leave ECW, and Jason gets his head shaved. Oh, I like that idea. If the Heavenly Bodies lose, all stipulations for their team are enforced. (laughs) I hope they lose. I I don't have this. This is not the pay-per-view, right? It's on December to December, oh, which God. isn't on which isn't on Peacock. <sighs> I, I will I, find some way to watch it anyway. Because here's the thing: I've tried to look up the results, and I can't tell who loses the fall. <laughs> There's so much oh, going God. on in this cage match. My brain hurts. Uh, we're gonna have to find that somehow and watch it. Yeah, this might be a special December to December episode. Just just yeah. for the Ultimate Jeopardy. Yep. Let's go to the scoreboard. I've got. Nitro had eight three. You've got Nitro eight two to one. Is this the easiest Nitro wins the week? Probably, yeah. I feel like there's been a couple of those, but yeah, it probably is. So, so what we're saying is, twelve weeks in, 
Nitro's won nine of them. They came out swinging that day. And you know what? I think they're coming out swinging again next week on the podcast, too. Ooh. So next week on the podcast, do you want Nitro, Raw, or ECW first? Oh, God. Well, go ECW because we just talked about it. One match on Hardcore TV. A match we've been waiting for. Uh Uh-oh. Terry Funk and Tommy Dreamer. Oh, yes. Against Cactus Jack and Raven. Yes, sir. I am looking forward to that. I want to see some fire. We finally get that tag match from the November to remember. We want blood. We want blood. Guarantee you, Tommy. Guarantee you, Terry Funk loses five pints of blood. He's almost dead in this match. (laughs) This is my 74th retirement. Your mother's a whore. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh, God. Next week on Raw. Next week on Raw, four matches. And as we know, Marty Jannetty is going to take on Sid. Razor Ramon to defend the Intercontinental Championship against Dean Douglas. Fatu goes one-on-one with the Brooklyn Brawler. Oh. And the British Bulldog, the number one contender, goes one-on-one with Bob Spark Plug Holly. Okay. When does he when does he turn when does he lose the spark plug? I can't remember. Uh it's like ninety seven, ninety eight. Mm. He yeah, he, he's 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 sparky plug Bob Holly for a while. Oh, uh, sparky plug. But on Nitro, are you ready for this? We know I was the born w- ready, brother. We know the WCW world title on the line, Randy Savage against Lex Luger. A rematch from Saturday night. Sting goes one-on-one with Kurosawa. This one's kind of interesting. The Giant goes one-on-one with Scott Flash Norton. Ooh, that is interesting. That's very interesting. And Mm. for the first time since before Halloween Havoc, the WCW World Tag Team Champions Harlem Heat are going to defend the titles against the former champions, the American Males. Good. I literally forgot the tag team titles existed until you said that. And it's held by my favorite WCW tag team of all time. Oh my gosh, dude. This is so ridiculous. So two title matches on Nitro, one title match on Raw, and a very fun tag match on ECW. Nitro looks really good. Raw does not. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Razor, and that's it. Well, yeah. Well, we'll see what happens next week as we head towards our last two pay-per-views of 1995 in your house seasons beating on December the 17th. And and December the 27th is Starrcade 1995 WCW against New Japan Pro Wrestling. Wait, any final thoughts before we get out of here for this week? No, sir. I am thrilled with the state of wrestling right now. And I'm looking forward to next week, brother. Well, we thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week on the Monday Night Warfare Podcast. So now that I've been forgiven for all my stupid mistakes by the ECW hardcore fans, things are back to normal. Isn't that right? Isn't that right, Charlie? ECW! ECW! How about you, Charlie? ECW! ECW! Say goodbye to all the hardcore fans, Charlie. Bye-bye! Bye-bye! Bye-bye, everybody! Bye-bye!